be a saint or go to hell. Startling opening line. This is what one priest would write in every one of his books that he would sign. Be a saint or go to hell. What else is there? Today we celebrate the feast of uh, the solemnity of all saints. So it's a very important thing to ask ourselves. Number one, what does it mean to be a saint? Number two, how do we ourselves become saints? And St. Therese of Lisieux, when she was a little girl, her mother used to get very angry at her because she'd often say to her, Mother, I love you so much, and I hope you'll die soon. I've had people say both of those things to me often, never usually in the same breath, though. But Therese would say, I want you to die so that you can go to heaven. I want you to become a saint. And that's what a saint is. That's the vision of what John had in that first reading. All those people from all different nations, races, tribes, and times standing around the altar in heaven, worshiping God. And what did they have? Two characteristics. One, they were dressed in white robes to signify purity. They were unstained by sin. And secondly, they had a palm branch. Because palm branches represent in in the scriptures and in history, victory. You run to get the palm of victory because they were able to overcome all the temptations while they lived on this earth of the things that threatened their salvation. And that's why John says, these are the ones who have survived a time of great distress. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These were the ones who survived the time of great distress and were faithful to Jesus Christ through it all. That's why scripture says, judge no one blessed before their death. Judge no one a saint before they, are die, before they die. Why? Because only when we've lived our entire life unto death, faithful to Jesus Christ and his gospel, can we truly be called holy. My brother gets angry at me sometimes because he'll say, you know, when you're in heaven, you can pray for us. And I'll always stop him. Say, well, I'm not there yet. And there's, there's no guarantee that I'll go to heaven. And he says, you're already a priest. You've already given everything. How can you say that? Because well, I'm still alive. And the fact that I'm a priest only means that I'll be held to a much higher standard because I was called to lead the pe- many people on the way to salvation. But as long as I'm alive, even till the end, I too can turn away from God. As human beings, we're like wet cement. And wet cement like kids do, you can draw on it, Right? You can draw anything you want at any time. And then if you draw something you don't like, you can scrape it over and clean it off and make it flat again. Well, that's what, it, that's what our souls are in life. We're always wet cement. And every time we go to confession, we're wiping everything we've ever written clean. That's why even the most hardened sinner can go through his entire life away from God. And at the end of his life, if he turns back to God in repentance and conversion, all of his sins can be wiped away. He can be made clean and be given that robe. It's only at the hour of our death, the moment when we die, when whatever we've written on that cement will remain forever. That's why it's fidelity unto death. So that's what it means to be a saint, to be in heaven. 
And that's why every single one of us is called to be saints. That was the glory of Vatican II uh, Council. That was one of the main things that they tried to talk about. It's not just for priests and for nuns, for exceptional people. Every single one of us is called to holiness. And there's only two options. We either become saints in heaven or we go to hell. And that's not a word that we like to talk about nowadays, right? Not something we like to hear, especially in our times when we've been so influenced by the heresy of universal salvation. The belief that in the end, everybody just goes to heaven. And this has been, not only is that contrary to church teaching and the catechism, but it's also contrary, especially and most importantly, to the words of Christ himself. But it's a natural product of what is called relativism. Relativism means that there's no absolute truth in life. That everything is relative to time and place. And your truth is just as valid as my truth and the next person's truth. What does that mean? That there's no right or wrong. There's no absolute morality. There's no one true religion. Everything's the same for every different person. And if that's the case, then there's no judgment. And there's no consequences. What's the principal problem with that sort of thought, though? It's not the gospel that we receive from Jesus Christ. Christ himself said, wide and spacious is the way that leads to damnation, and many are they that are on it. And how straight and narrow is the way that leads to salvation, and few are they that find it. Therefore, strive to enter through the narrow gate. In our times, we've totally flipped it. Wide and spacious, the way that leads to salvation. Many are they that are on it. How straight and narrow, the way that leads to to damnation. And rapists and murderers and Hitler maybe have found it. I'd add Stalin to that list too, but it seems like in our times in America, Marxist communism has become too favorable to make that claim. Pope Benedict, he made an interesting point though. He said that if we believe that Christ is not necessary for salvation... The gospel, which means the good news, the good news that he brought actually becomes bad news. Christ's words are bad news because they're an unnecessary burden. Why would anyone take up their cross and convert their life to the truth if it was all the same to do otherwise? Why go to a dentist if I don't have a a cavity? Why get surgery if I don't have anything wrong with me? So why go through the pain of following Jesus Christ and being faithful to his gospel and suffering for his truth if in the end we all go to heaven anyway? It becomes an unnecessary burden of life to be faithful to Jesus Christ in that context. Why stand up for Christ? Why go to mass when it's easier to sleep in? Why fight against lust when it's so much easier to give in to it? Why speak up against supporting abortion or politicians that promote abortion when so often all we get in response is persecution for it? Why strive for the narrow path of heaven if there is no alternative path to hell? That's when we start to convince ourselves that to be a saint just means to be a nice person. Someone who gets along with everybody else. 
who never rocks the boat and is always politically correct. It's no longer about fidelity to Christ and his gospel or enduring the suffering that comes with fidelity to Christ and his gospel. In the end, why convert my life to Christ and his truth in his narrow way when it's all the same at the end of the day? The gospel is stripped of so much of its motivation if we reject Christ's own teachings on the consequence of rejecting him and living a life of sin and for this world. So who goes to heaven in the end? The real question in that is, who becomes a saint? How do we become saints? Well, forget individual opinions. Forget my own opinion as a priest, because you could talk to other priests in our day and they can tell you something different. The only opinion that matters when we talk about how we get to heaven is one person principally, and that is Jesus Christ. What were the words of Christ himself on this matter? Well, Christ said there's five things that are necessary for our salvation that we can boil it down to. Baptism, the Eucharist, following his commandments, forgiving our enemies, and serving the poor, serving those in need. So baptism, unless you are born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. The Eucharist, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. Following God's commandments. Not everyone who says to me on that day of their death, Lord, Lord, will enter into my kingdom, but only those who have done the will of my heavenly Father in his kingdom. Fourthly, forgiving our enemies. Unless you forgive your brother from the depths of your heart, neither will my heavenly Father forgive you of your sins. And fifth, service to those in need. Whatever you've done to the least of my brethren, you've done unto me. So that's it. If we're striving for those five things in our life, which many of us are, you're striving for it, then you're on the way to heaven, according to Christ's own words. And if we fall at times, which we all do, what's the answer? We go to confession. Every time we go to confession, when we fall, our whole cement is wiped clean again. Everything is made new. There's not a single sin that cannot be forgiven in confession. The Pope even said, it's not God whoever gets tired of forgiving us. It's we who get tired of asking God for forgiveness. The true saints are the ones who never give up on the forgiveness of God. They never stop running back to him for that. And so the church teaches that we must go to confession at least once a year in order to receive Holy Communion or after we've committed any grave sin, any mortal sin. And mortal sin means mortal because it kills the soul. It's a grave offense that takes away sanctifying grace within us. And that's why it's so important for the Catholic Church to teach very clearly what are the sins in this world that can do just that. It's also for the sake of clarification why the Catholic Church can never endure same-sex civil unions. Never. I know there's some confusion about this in the recent days, but the reason the church would never do that is because you're placing two individuals on a constant near occasion of mortal sin if they acted out on those desires. So that's why we can never support that. John Paul II once wrote, back when he was Pope, too often preachers, catechists, and teachers 
no longer have the courage to preach of the real threat of hell that Christ has taught us. Why? Because it's painful. It's not something we like to think about. And if there's no mortal sin in your life, you don't need to worry about it. It doesn't need to be a motivation for you. What should be the motivation is the love of God and the Holy Spirit inspiring you into good. But if there are problems in our life, mortal sins are the only thing that can keep us from becoming saints. So if there's something there, it needs to be addressed. Imagine if you went to a doctor, right? And you have, a, you have an infectious disease within you. And because the doctor doesn't want to make you uncomfortable, doesn't want to make you sad, he doesn't tell you about the disease that you have. So you feel good in the moment. You walk away from the office. But not only does that disease start to spread throughout your whole body, it, you also start to pass it along to all your loved ones. That's exactly what sin does when it goes unchecked. It spreads throughout our lives and it inspires other people, the people we most love who are closest to us, to follow in our example. That's why the sins of the Father pass to the Son. We imitate what we see those closest to us doing. So if we do not talk about the serious sins in our life, the things that can keep us from going to heaven, we end up spreading it around for other people to get in the same danger. So in light of this, I'd like to recommend we all prayerfully make a resolution today on the solemnity of all saints. And I think it's arguably the most important resolution that we can ever make in our life. To never again willingly commit a mortal sin. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you said, I resolve with all my heart to never commit a mortal sin ever again? St. Francis de Sales, one of the greatest you know, um, saints and spiritual writers of the Middle Ages, he said, are you resolved never to commit a mortal sin for any reason whatsoever? In this resolution consists the foundation of the spiritual life. Everything builds upon that, that I will never do anything to jeopardize the salvation of my soul. Many of the other saints would say, death before a single mortal sin. So instead of listing them all out right now and making things even more awkward, what I'd really suggest that you do, because we have to take ownership, right, of our own soul. No one can save us in the end. We have to choose for ourselves right and wrong. So I'd encourage you, take some time to look up what is a mortal sin? What are the grave sins that can kill my soul? And what are the mortal sins, especially that the devil is tempting me with? Because every single one of us is going to be tempted in this world, right? And once you recognize that, then you can resolve, I'm going to start fighting against this. I'm going to walk into it. And just like our, all of our fears in life, the more we run away from anything, the bigger it gets, right? The more you look it down in the face and say, you're not going to have control over me anymore the smaller they get. That's what happens with our sins. Same thing. The more we stand up to it with the power of Jesus Christ and his word and his spirit, the less power sin has in our life. But you gotta make the resolve to walk into it. 
We may not all have the luxury of St. Therese of Lisieux, who was told that she never committed a single mortal sin in her entire life by her confessor. But I'd encourage us to listen to her words of support that the road to heaven may be straight and narrow, but our Lord Jesus Christ is very strong and his arms are very wide. And as long as we always stay close to Jesus Christ, as long as we always stay under the shadow of his protection, he is the one who little by little, step by step, will lead us from where we are to where we were always meant to be, in heaven. And one day we will stand with all the saints we celebrate this day around the altar of God, where they behold what we forever will behold on this earth every time we come to Mass and stand around this altar. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the wedding feast of the Lamb.